0: So how is your mom?
1: Uh, You know, every day is a new challenge. Uh, she's starting to take gummies. So that's always interesting. Um, I found her with a sweet potato in her hand, uh, asleep, looking just like she was on a whole other trip, which was really cool because she looked relaxed. Uh, but yeah, you know, dementia is a whole other world.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, and having to take care of... A parent um, and sort of become the parent, which I think is really funny for you because I'm not really sure you're grown up yet.
1: <laughs> I know it's funny because I'll be doing something like putting on her jacket or something, and i I see the humor in it because of all the people on this earth who is now in charge of someone else's life. Who would have thunk it'd be me? <laughs> <laughs> It's it's weird It's really weird And telling her to go to bed And then she gives me these looks And I have had to tell her Don't look at me that way <laughs> She gets all mannish
0: <laughs> ladies, and so, yeah. ladies and gentlemen Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen I think we'll start the show now
1: <laughs> Let's start the show
0: <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Sticky Note Conversations with Erica Washington. I'm your host, Erica Washington, and I am so excited today to be having a Um, really deep and probably somewhat insane conversation with one of my (laughs) favorite people George Washington, who I am not related to, but yet at the same time, he is also the closest thing I think I will ever have to a brother, and so um, I don't there's there's not a real definition there but if there is family he is family um but he's full of opinions he's had the most interesting life probably of anybody i've ever known so if anyone has ever heard um me do anything then you already sort of know who derek is but there's so much more to him so let's find out uh, what he has going on welcome to sticky note conversations
1: I feel like that introduction makes me sound like a very deep and complicated person when I'm really just shallow as hell.
0: <laughs> I think you're deep and shallow at the same time.
1: I am. I am. I am. I'm a dichotomy. I told is somebody. Right
0: I told somebody one day. I said, "Derek is so smart. He is such a super smart person. Like, I feel like I could talk to you about." almost anything and you have just this random like wealth of knowledge that i don't know where it comes from and then two seconds later you'll say something that makes me think that maybe you only went to kindergarten and so (laughs) i think that's that deep shallowness that you that you most certainly have
1: i can you know what i can tell you where the smartness comes from um as a kid i was not i did the washington's uh no um i as a kid i was let's say i was fat um and so i got bullied a lot and so i stayed at home a lot and my dad bought me the encyclopedia britannica which for those of you under the age of 100 you have no idea what that is but it was like the entire internet in a set of books from a to z and then every year they did an update and you got that and they were like Big books, big. And so I would sit at home and I literally read the entire encyclopedia five or six times. So, literally, every book, it would be like A to B. And every single country in the world that begins with an A or a B, every subject that begins with an A or a B. And, you know, uh, that bullying made me figure out something else to do with myself. And that came from that. And then I got tired of being bullied. And in the seventh grade, I decided, well, you know what? I'll be funny. And then that leads you into a whole other knowledge set. So, yeah, that's that's where we get that yin, that yang, that up, that down, that top, that bottom. <laughs> I said bottom.
0: <laughs> that makes me a little sad, though. I'm feeling very after-school specialist at the moment.
1: <laughs> a very special I- blossom. <laughs> Bullying.
0: (laughs) I was a fat kid who was bullied, so I read the encyclopedia, and now I'm an interesting person.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you know, that remember a few years ago when they had that thing for gay kids where it said it gets better? It does. I mean, it it does, but as an adult, you find out just as it gets better, it's time to slap you back down. So, you know, it is what it is. It's life.
0: So, for the few people who have no idea who you are whatsoever... Give, what is your title? Who are you? How old are you? where do you
1: come from? Okay. First of all, you never ask a gay guy how old he is. Cause in grinder years, I'm 39. Anyway, um, So I'm Derek Washington. I am chairman of the Black Democratic Empowerment Project, which is the largest chartered black organization with Democratic Party in Nevada. I'm also chairman of Stonewall Democrats, which is basically the same thing for the gays, the LGBTs and the Qs. Um, And I also am the host of a little talk show called Talking While Black, which is a conversation about everything that interests me with people that interests me. Uh, And because I read the encyclopedia, that could be anything, you know, one day it could be a politician. The next day it could be a porn star, but it's people that I find interesting and that in one way or another, I actually like.
0: That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Why, why politics? Why, (laughs) why, why, why be so entrenched in the democratic party?
1: Okay, I originally am from Chicago. And as a little kid, we had the original Mayor Daley. And for those of you don't know, Mayor Daley was the boss of all bosses. He was the political boss, a Democrat. Um, And in Chicago, everything is politics. You get your parking tickets, you go down to your local alderman and you give him $10 and he makes that parking uh, ticket disappear. You need your electricity connected. You give somebody money in politics So it's corrupt as hell But it made things happen And so I was always fascinated by that And then I saw a movie Called Mahogany And in Mahogany Billy D. Williams Is a city councilman And I just really admired him And I thought he was the coolest thing And then there were people like Adam Clayton Powell uh, Who else affected me? Reverend Ike So um I just have always known that politics actually matter to black people. It's the only way we've gotten anything. Um, The civil rights movement was about getting the right to vote, which then gives us the right to elect people like us to make sure that hopefully we are protected and encouraged. So that's why politics and as far as the Democratic Party goes, it is flawed It's like having, you know, a one arm pitcher who at least is on your team and pitches pretty good, but yeah, he's only got one arm. Uh, It's just, uh, you know, it's the only show in town for us right now. And especially right now when we are under attack, Black people are under attack on every angle, and nobody is there helping us, protecting us, allying with us and the only thing that we have is the vote and we need to just get through this election. And then we're gonna have to have some serious conversations about whether or not the Democratic Party is our home.
0: Right there, I mean, there's a couple of things I want to say, but I I mean, my first thing to say is come on, mahogany. Like, you
1: know. It is a cinematic cinematic jewel of American history and Diana Ross acts her butt off in that movie. I don't care what you have to say about it. Eric hates that movie.
0: Diana Ross is not known for having a backside. So let's start there. So acting her butt off.
1: First, first of all, first of all, Diana Ross in Mahogany.
0: Hey, Mr. Councilman. I that want is my acting. old man back. <laughs>
1: That's
0: all I think about. That's the only thing I...
1: I want my old man hot wax. The first time you ever saw hot wax dripped on someone, who was it? It was Diana Ross going, oh, woo, uh, whoo, ah yeah that was when she had that that moment where she realized that she had overstepped her bounds, that she had stepped out of who she was and that she needed to get back to herself do you know where you're going to (laughs) come on now
0: well as a theme song for 2024 that could be uh need to think about but something else that you said it's like you know after this election we need to you know really have a conversation but i feel like That's the same line after every conversation. It's like, now we need to, you know, get down to the brass tacks, but this is all we have right now. It feels like such a poverty mentality. Like, I don't understand how we're going to keep having the same conversation every cycle, expecting something to be better unless we do something better on the front side.
1: Okay, so here's the thing about that. So, yes, the Democratic Party has been the boy who cried wolf far too much. And this time, the wolf is actually at the door. If Donald Trump or any Republican gets elected as president, it's over for this country. It is over, and especially for Black people. Let me tell you something. Every single group in this country has a thing about Black people. Every single group. And and honestly, the only group that I feel, and I'm I'm just going to say this, the only group that I feel safe with As far as allyship with Black people or Jewish people, they've always sort of been there for us. You know, and I mean, we have a complicated history with them as well. But the simple fact of the matter is if the Republicans get in office, look at what they've already done. They've gotten rid of Black studies all across the country. Anything to do with diversity, uh, inclusion and whatever the E stands for, um, equity, I don't know. Anything that DEI, anything CRT, anything with uh, anything that in any way, shape or form has any positive thing to do with black people has been erased across the South for sure and would gladly be erased throughout the country with a Republican in office. Unfortunately, we are in like on RuPaul's Drag Race, we are in a lip sync for your life moment right now. After this, yeah, I'm I don't know how I feel about anything after this, but because we shouldn't be in this position, but we what are do at a point. you
0: consider yourself a part of? If you, I know you don't want to say your age, but my
1: goodness, I think it would be oh, helpful. I, I, I'm, I'm Gen X. I'm, I'm totally Gen X. Um,
0: You're not I a boomer. On,
1: see, here's the problem with that. I'm born in 63. They say Gen X starts in 64. I consider myself Gen X. I was born on the cusp between boomers and Gen X, but I definitely grew up Gen X with new wave and punk rock, the very first uh, hip hop. I'm talking Sugar Hill Gang. Um, so I grew up as a child in the sixties. Uh, but, and then as a teenager in the seventies and, and as an adult in the eighties. So I grew up in a time. Where I saw everything. We lived in Chicago during the during the riots uh, when Dr. King was killed in the seventies. We lived a, as the, the Huxtable life in the eighties. We everything got even better, and then as as with all things black, everything fell apart by the end of the eighties because we were targeted again. And yeah, so that's who I that's my background story so basically the good years were from the 60s to house music
0: you know and and the other reason i ask is because i think it does help with with mindset a little bit and, and for the audience to understand a little bit about where you come from because you know i've also interviewed my daughter who is 20 so you know that mindset is a lot different from yours or mine and, you know, technically we are, we are of the same generation, just at, um, Polar. Yeah. yeah. So I consider myself in Gen X, but some people would call me a millennial and I don't, don't I take
1: don't. that. Don't take that. That that's an insult.
0: I don't know if it's an insult, but I don't know. When I think of millennials, I think that they are, might be younger than me, especially since I have children in college and already graduated from college. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit for me. Um, and I think I've also have been called an old soul for so long
1: yeah. that, that that you
0: added are to it. So
1: yeah, that that I think that's one of the reasons that we were attracted to each other because I am not an old soul; I'm just old, and you are an old soul. So you so yeah. we
0: met. So, so yeah. I, I'm I'm right there with you, even though your maturity level sometimes um, <laughs> is questionable.
1: It's but, why I'm not wrinkled. Except in my forehead, which my grandmother told me not to do. Well,
0: <laughs> stop frowning. You get stuck yeah. like that. So back to the Democrats. Okay. It's 2024. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 our season for elections and, you know, and, and that's how we met was around um, hot button issues and topics <laughs> politics when I worked for the Las Vegas Sentinel voice and I came to an event uh, and you were interviewed and you. Uh, I think by one of the local um, TV stations. And this was right when Obama, our former president Obama had uh, signed in the, the bill around um, I think was that don't ask, don't tell or whatever. The repeal of that. And so getting your hot takes on how that affected you and your community and all of that. And, and so, um, you know, I feel like everything that, you and I have done has had politics wrapped around it, but I think we both also believe that politics are you know ingrained into our lives in all these ways. So this question I'm getting ready to ask you, um, you know, I know politics is included in everything in it, and we're it's ingrained in our lives. But what issues um, matter to you the most as a um, Gen X gay man?
1: Who is black? Well, this is what I was going to say. So I've got three parts of me. I am totally black, blackly black, black, black. Uh, I am gay as gay can get. I'm also a super duper patriot. And I think that's the part that people miss about me. I love this country. I do. I will declare it from the, t- the highest peak of this country that we are the greatest country that has ever existed on this planet and that we have the most potential. And so I really love this country. I also really love my Black people. And I also am really proud of what gays have done and what my role in gay rights has been. So... It's sort of a combination of things that I'll go back to what party on all my three issues what party has been there for me what what party is the only party working on those issues that's why I have a loyalty to the democratic party and I'm willing to try to fix it having said that there's a lot of stuff that needs to be fixed so my issues are really voting rights and getting voter education I think that your daughter's generation, I'm actually surprised. I think that your youngest daughter is probably, her generation is probably gonna save the world because they don't see any reason why they should have to settle. And they also understand they like messing with the system. One of the things about Gen Z in particular that I like is back when Donald Trump was running and he was having those stupid rallies and they uh, took all the tickets for one of his rallies and then didn't show up. And I thought, okay, really
0: they,
1: they understand how to be petty and effectively petty. And I love petty, as you well know. So, um, So voter education, voter encouragement, voter engagement, th- there's no more important issue to me than that. So
0: do you think that people will turn out uh, in 2024? Are you concerned at all um, with apathy, especially um, the way that people kind of really... I mean, honestly, sort of dog Joe Biden, but also at the same time feel like, oh, well, if Trump is able to uh, run, then I'm not going to vote or, you know, I I feel like there are multiple reasons why people
1: have given. And all of that, honestly, Erica, so much of that is has been thought out. The thing about Joe Biden, it's relentless. It's like they did about Hillary. Hillary was corrupt. Hillary over 40 years has been corrupt. Hillary over 40 years has been a murderer? Hillary has been a drug dealer? Hillary Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi. Name me another person on either side of the aisle that sat for 8 hours without taking a pee break uh to be grilled by Republicans and and took it and and came out of it unscathed. So there is a there's a misinformation machine on the right right wing side that equals what the Nazis were able to do to the Jews uh and it's aimed at joe biden it's aimed at any black woman black woman of power look at what just happened at harvard uh it's aimed at it's a disinformation machine that is very very good at what they do joe biden has a speech impediment has had it since he was a kid they have turned that into he's an idiot he's he's feeble he's this he's that whereas if you listen to donald trump He the other day started talking about grannies in the middle of talking about oil, in the middle of talking about how he was, how he needs to have immunity from anything he ever does, including the stuff that's illegal. But the Democratic side is horrible at messaging because we're, Michelle Obama said the best and the worst thing ever. She said, when they go low, we go high. Now, when they go low, we need to show them the basement. And I don't think we do that enough. My favorite political quote, James Carville says, when my enemy is drowning, I throw them an anvil. We need to do that more often. And unfortunately, we don't do that enough. Senator Reid was great at that. I miss him. He was a mentor of mine. He taught me that.
0: Pettiness is, it can be a lovely thing at, at the right okay. time. I feel, though, as you our former petty. person.
1: What? You try You try to act like you don't do petty, but you do it and you're like a master class. So just go ahead with your question.
0: <laughs> I take that as a compliment.
1: Yeah, you should.
0: <laughs> but our former first lady, uh, mm-hmm. Michelle Obama, who is also a Capricorn, I believe that she has a lot of room for petty. And I think that... Some I think that she was trying to give us some motivation to be greater and to be better than not to put up with. And so I think that, you know, there are I'm going to interpret interpret um, her her quote um, in a way that suits me, I think. Which, you know, I, we may not need to go all the way to the basement, but I think that we certainly need to um, probably cut certain things off at the knees where we can um with but doing it with grace so when we
1: make you know, to the basement it's so already go low, be there
0: when we that go low it still looks it, it looks lovely
1: okay I mean. all right like bless your heart so mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I'll, I'll give you that you know michelle obama could save the entire world in one sentence i am running for president of the united states uh, you know, that would save the world. Um, because I no. Want that for her. I would not would. want that. For her. You don't have to want it for her. This is the time about to the patriotism. This is the time that good people, the good people need to step up and save this country. She literally could save this country. Literally.
0: There go black ladies having to save the country.
1: Always. But but you know what? That's what y'all do. That's what y'all do, and that's what y'all do well. And at some point, I think that needs to be said. It's it's you know what? They send up the bat signal. They say, Where's Superman? You know what? Where's the black lady? We need a black lady right now. Right now, at this moment in time, we need a black lady. You know Does somebody feel- send up the black lady signal.
0: Right. Well, I feel like um you know I, I don't know that I have a i well let me say this I agree um that the amount of 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 disrespect towards um our current president Joe Biden's uh speech impediment is it's really ableist and it's really weird. Like we all stumble, we all stutter at some point. Yeah. And then you know his might be a little bit worse than others, but he's also said this is what I have and it's just like it doesn't stop him from performing. And he is also um at is he 80, I think 81. He's like a thousand. He's he's way too old. And Don't so, get me wrong. And so and so there's a lot with that and and the amount of Of deference we give to some uh, a layperson or a civilian who resident of wherever who is eighty versus him is very different. So, but also I guess you know he is the president, but it also comes to begs the question: Why do we keep um, electing people um, that are of that age and not to be ageist? Because and you've called me ageist before, and I am not ageist. I do believe, I think you can be 80 and do a lot of great things. And I think you should be doing great things. I can't imagine why you'd want to be president though, because the amount of work that it takes, like, don't you want to, you know, relax a little bit. And then also you have a lot less left of life than you, you've already, you've lived so much life and you have a lot less on this side, as opposed to somebody younger who has more on the other side, still left to live, hopefully, God willing. And so thinking about that future a little bit different, I wonder, you know, why that's not more important than just saying, okay, well, you know, we're, because most of Congress, most of the Senate, they're all pretty up there in age. And the, the, we need more variety in age. i s I'll say America. that. Yeah, I, don't, I don't want I don't want to say an 80-year-old person can't do good work, but we can't have um it's so
1: lopsided. I don't think anybody on this planet thinks that an 80-year-old man Two 80-year-old men, because that's the other thing. The right wing is so good at pointing out his age. Donald Trump is right behind him.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I, yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I said all of them, just yeah, lopsided. Yeah, all all of Congress and the Senate.
1: But I'm going I'm to point out something to you, and, and we're totally in agreement on this, but I am going to point out something to you. So on the Republican side, MAGA is all in their 40s, and they are a crap show. Because they don't respect tradition They're millennials They don't respect tradition They don't respect decorum They don't respect protocol And they're just there as a video game They grew up on just fighting So the thing about Joe Biden is this Obama, as every Democratic president does Saved the nation after a Republican disaster Okay? Joe Biden not only saved the economy He saved us from dying Okay? So he probably needed to be Joe Biden in his age because he knew how to work everything. I do think that after this, um, I wish how do I put this politely? I wish his vice president was someone else. Because I think after after this, I think he really needs to step aside in a year or so and let the vice president take care of things. Um, but this is what we have right now. So we can't talk about letters. And one of the things that bugs me, especially about young black people, is they have been put into this misinformation loop where all these young black activists are talking about, well, I'm not voting for Joe Biden. And he didn't do this and he didn't do that. I need you to sit down and shut up for a minute and stop and think about what will happen to you as a young person if Donald Trump is elected. Your whole life will change. You will not be able to protest. Because general trump has already said he's going to pull out the insurrection act on you that means black people that doesn't mean that he's going to go and arrest white kids for protesting that means if there's a black lives matter moment you will be shot in the streets it's that simple we got to start saying it like that but i do agree with you the next <clears throat> the next generation of democratic leadership needs to be in the hakeem jeffries ro Khanna, katie porter age group. That, and what's that? What's the one girl? Uh, the, I don't want to call her girl. What is the one woman? She's sassy. She's a congresswoman and she lays it out for them, the black woman. Um,
0: Are you talking I about the, the, uh, the lady from Texas?
1: Yeah. Oh, she is. Oh, my God. She is so smart, so quick, so caring, so on top of stuff. Um, I would love to see her go uh, just shoot up to the top of the democratic sphere.
0: Yeah, I don't um uh I think you're talking about Jasmine Crockett.
1: That's it. That's it. Love her. Love her. She is everything did you just I did call think. her sassy.
0: Did you really just call her sassy? I said
1: sassy. I didn't yeah. call her a sassy black woman, but, but I said she was I wanna, sassy.
0: I wanna back up because you said you wish we had a different vice president.
1: I did, and I knew I was gonna get called out on that. And so yeah, I just
0: I I'm not calling you out. You're allowed to have your opinion and this show is about yeah other people's opinions and I you know a little little sassiness myself here and there but
1: you're (laughs) on
0: your own so um, and there are other people who might feel exactly the same way so give me just a a small reason about why you said that
1: I used to be back to you know you said I was I had an interesting life for a long time I was a model agent and people would walk in and they'd be the most you know what you think of as as a the typical model tall blonde blue eyes beautiful and they didn't have it and i wouldn't sign them somebody else would come in with a crooked nose weird hair um and i would sign them and they would be the ones who worked okay they had it there are politicians who have it maxwell frost has it um jasmine crockett has it camel harris doesn't have it um And it's nothing against her. You either have it or you don't. You have it. I have it. We're the type of people that when we walk into a room, even if no one knows who we are, what we are, someone will be like, who is that? Someone will come and talk to you. You know this for a fact about yourself. Um, you're, you have it or you don't have it. Not having it is not an issue. However, it really helps to have it. Like all the things that I've done in my life, most of them have fallen into my lap because I have it, and someone recognized the it factor and and gave me a, a chance to do something that I had no experience whatsoever doing. And it is a little, you know, zaza za, za, za zoo, Yeah, right? it's, it's, it's an, it's an, un, it's, it's umami. You know, it's, it's a, it's a thing that you can't describe, but you know it when you see it, you know it when you feel it, and you probably know it when you have it because it is an ego at all. In fact, many people with it don't feel it is, <laughs> but he doesn't have it. And, I think she's accomplished. I think she's smart. I think she's all the things, but she doesn't have it. If she was in a room and Jasmine Crockett was in the room, I would go talk to Jasmine Crockett. Okay, fair
0: enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I I want to talk about some other stuff, but to sort of like wrap this Mm -hmm. space up, you know, we started off talking about your mom. Yeah, your mom currently um, has dementia. And so you are sort of bobbing and weaving through this new chapter in your life, in this her life, where your roles have sort of reversed. And so one of the issues that... Make It Work Nevada has talked about for a number of years is paid family leave. Um, and and the weight and the cost of caretaking for our families and how it's not honored. Caretaking has not been honored ever, you know, from the time of slavery um, on like somebody else can do that work. And and it's always been one of the also the lowest paid jobs and mostly done by uh black or, or black women and women. so, I, yeah, women in general but certainly black and brown women are the ones who have taken the load of that responsibility as a profession but then when it comes to uh doing it for your family um where it's not paid uh, but you still have to work at the same time and trying to figure out how to be able to work full-time so you can pay the bills or pay somebody who can help uh, take care of your loved one is a struggle that so many people are going through, especially at this age group, because a lot of folks are also taking care of children at the same time. So you have ch- small children, and then you have your, your parents that you're trying to um, take care of while you still try to live some sort of of, of meaningful life. And so when when I say all that, um, I'm wondering how that affects how you think about voting, and how you th- how it affects how you think about who should be uh, leading our our state and our our uh, federal government, but also even local government because those those folks matter and they need to understand um, the struggles that the residents have. And so, does that cross your does that cross your mind at all as you are? Like in the trenches day to day, trying to make sure your mother is not um leaving the house and in, in hanging out at the bus station as she has sometimes.
1: As she just recently did, five miles away. I'm in a unique position in that I can I can call out politicians in Nevada and I can say to I can talk to people like I talk to you. It's my brand. So no one is shocked when I do it. In this election season. Every single politician running for every single office, I am going to ask publicly, what are you going to do about this very issue? What are your plans? If you don't have any plans, I'm not messing with you because it tells me that you're not a real person. One thing that has been interesting, I'll say, slash good about this experience is everybody has gone through it. Everybody above the age of 50 has gone, is going through, about to go through it. Um, My auntie said to me last night, my favorite auntie said to me, Derek, we're all on a road, none of us can get off of it. And I thought that was the most uh, insightful thing to say. Every politician, and I'm going to grill them, being chairman of two democratic organizations, I have a certain amount of of pull in the sense that people sort of have to go through me in order to get to where they want to go. And as we start having forums and things like that, it's not going to be the, oh, you get to speak three minutes and then we let you go. Nah, nah, we're not doing that anymore. And this goes back to you asking about the Democratic Party. I'm in a position in the Democratic Party where I can actually point stuff out about politicians. And hopefully I hate mediocrity I, I hate mediocrity I hate it in restaurants I hate it in cars I hate it in designers I why hate it in movies Why did
0: we put up with mediocrity in- Because
1: in- I'll tell you why here in Las Vegas, we have what are called legacies. These are people whose families came here in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and made a name for themselves. And we're supposed to like bow down to them even when they're not worthy. You know, we've got people who lay claim to having the second black doctor in Nevada. As, as some reason, we're supposed to respect them. Um, we've got people who are politicians who come from a long line of politicians that were that we're supposed to just take what they say, even though they are extraordinarily mediocre um it's a black thing it's a respect thing it's a church related thing um you know like we know we know bishop is tiddling the choir director but we're not supposed to say nothing about it because that's bishop it's a. um it's just a very 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 ingrained thing i think in particular with black people that we don't challenge other black people because then it looks like we're trying to bring a black man down or we're not supporting a sister Um, and we need to we need to reevaluate who is worth not bringing down, who is worth bringing up, who is worth supporting, and it is some, It's a conversation that we, as Black people, swear we have. Just like with the Democratic Party, every four years, we swear that from now on we're going to hold them accountable. The word "accountable" means nothing in do politics. Do you think we have? Do
0: you think we have lower expectations?
1: I think that I think we are blackmailed. Into having lower expectations. Because we I think people in power will always try to keep people who aren't in power down. And I think in the black community, in the black political community, we have a real way of saying if you don't support this person, you're not supporting black people. Or why are you always trying to bring a black man down? Well, maybe sometimes the black man ain't worth putting up, you know, like just because you're black doesn't give you a pass. Like to be mediocre, it it has. Oh, it it definitely has. It it's it's happening right now. You know, here in Nevada, we got we got. I'm you know, I got no problem saying. I I I know
0: you're struggling right now. Just right, right, right. right. Because I'm without without you know. I'll give you
1: examples. Examples. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call. I'm not gonna put anybody's name in my mouth. But. We have a young minister who is the most obvious piece of mediocrity on the planet, but because he's young, Black, and a minister, people are pushing him forward for what is bound to be a fall. We have a man running for uh, mayor who is the most venal, uh, self-involved, self-pushing person on earth. And people are supporting him. Luckily, with him, people are standing up against him. Uh, we have a couple of young women who are legacies who really, it's time to go sit down. And none of them, here's my problem with Black politicians, too. And I'm saying this in general they never have a protege that they are bringing up. I don't, I cannot name a single Black politician in Nevada. Who has a protege that they are saying, you know what, I'm gonna train you, or a group of proteges, a group of mentees. Senator Reid mentored me, literally had people fly in from DC to tell me how the Senate worked so that I could explain it to people so we could get Don't Ask, Don't Tell repealed. He mentored me on how to undermine your opponent in an election. He mentored me in how to uh, hold an event that was interesting that people would then want to vote. I've never been mentored by a Black politician. And I don't know anyone who has. Have you asked? You know what? That is interesting. I have made made many, many, many attempts. And here's something interesting. I'm glad you asked that because it sort of makes me think. I've never had to ask with white people. So I guess maybe I didn't, I don't know. I don't know what that difference is. So in answer to your question, I don't know if I have or haven't, but I've never had to ask to be mentored. People just took me under their wing. No black politician has ever done that.
0: Have you ever wanted to run for office
1: yourself? I ran for city council. Um, I did. The thing is, I did really well. I got more votes in my district than much more established politicians got in other districts that ran that year. Uh, but I did not win. But I did very well. and I, I, I was able to... Uh, I was sitting at dinner with a friend and I said, I don't want to see the results you tell me. And he goes, you know what? You didn't win but you got nothing to be ashamed of. So if I had had money, who knows what could have happened. But I've Right, and, and that's an
0: important point right there I think because I as a person who has been around the electoral process for a number of cycles you know my eyes roll so hard when people say anybody can run anybody can throw their if you you know if you want to get involved just get involved and you can you can run for office and yes technically You can Mm -hmm. just line up and pay your, your fee to file and run for office, but it's so much deeper than that. And you know, the legacy goes further than just you know you know family, but also um you know who who do you know and yeah. who have access to and do you have any money and do you know can you invest in Van you know the voter file can you um, do you even understand what that is do you understand how the Democratic Party works at the state level. Do you know, have you ever been to a central committee meeting? You know, do you understand how those precinct captains work and uh, that electoral process? It's like you
1: can't get an engineering job if you don't know what engineering is. However, with politics, especially local politics, I could I could. So, for instance, if I wasn't taking care of my mom with dementia right now, I would be running this this cycle and I would have a very good chance, but I also have put in years of what you just talked about. You know, I know all of those things that you just said, and I could probably raise money this time. I was under the mistaken belief before that I could run on me You're and good. yeah, I could, yeah, <laughs> my good looks, I'm cute, uh, but I could have, I could have had billboards. I could have, you know, had mailers because the, I was the only one in the race that actually put out my policy points. Everybody else was just like, vote for me and I'll set you free. You know? Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Who said that, nobody. Everybody. <laughs>
0: so, okay. so all of this gets you all hot and bothered. How are you unwinding from this? What are you watching? What are you, uh, what is happening? Okay.
1: I, you know, it's funny because being black, can you ever unwind? Um, i love beat bobby flay i will watch that i watch it it's the last thing i watch at tonight i usually will watch it to start he has my day no with
0: personality bobby. we talked about this on the phone and i and i went back and looked at the episode i'm just like that man has no personality i don't understand why this is an interesting
1: show what he does have is he is an amazing chef but You also want to beat him for that very reason. You want to beat, like, for instance, someone will be from India and come on and go, I'm going to do Garo Masala. Ooh, that was probably racist that I just did that, like, accent. So, apologize. (laughs) I apologize. Uh, But anyway, and then Bobby will beat them, which bothers me on so many levels. Like, oh, I thought that other person's dish was better. but um,
0: Has he ever had to make, like, collard greens and cornbread?
1: you don't want to know the other day i well i also watched Chopped, and the other day they did a, a challenge where there were collard greens and chitlins in the basket and see and all the contestants were white And seeing what they did to those two ingredients, one of them, one of them took the chitlins, steamed them and then sort of mashed them up into like a ground beef sort of thing and then wrapped them in a steamed collard leaf like it was a grape leaf. Oh, I was on the floor and they were like, well, you know, I think that if you had just like maybe a squeeze of lemon would have brought some brightness to the dish. And I'm like, oh, my God. Um, But about not being able to relax and being black. I noticed the makeup of the judges, like he has these random restaurant owners on. And I just think if someone would just say, hey, let's go find some new black chefs or let's go find some black restaurateurs," who. What a great benefit, what a Keith Lee effect it could be. On these, ben- on these businesses. And so I can't even relax I then. I him
0: on the show. He seems like somebody interesting. I'm going to add him to my list.
1: I love Keith. You know what? At first I was like, what is a Keith Lee? Because he just blew up all of a sudden. But evidently he was already blown up. He just had one thing that made him go, you know, to the next level, to the general population.
0: And he, he seems very
1: nice. He seems very nice. And um, I watched an interview with him and I was like, this is somebody I would love to actually know. Not because he's Keith Lee, but he just seems like somebody to be fun to to sit down and eat with and watch TV with, etc. So, and food—that's how I relax. Um, cooking, cooking for my mom. Uh, with her having dementia, I'm able to cook for her, and it gives me a chance to do some of the things I learned during Beat Bobby Flay. You know, like last night. I made her a baked sweet potato with a leek and brown butter sauce and Mexican crema on top, you know? So,
0: Ooh, fancy.
1: right. So yeah, that's how I relax. I love, I love pop culture. I love uh baby Smith. Anybody listening, please, you know, tune into Bevy Smith revelations. Uh, she is a woman of a certain age, a black woman whose catchphrase is it gets better later. And she's all the things, uh, that makes,
0: that, that makes me think about this thing around like the soft life. And so have you heard that term that we're no, like, what is that? So you're seeing it a lot on, on the the social medias um, that especially for Black women, being able to get into your soft life era where, you what know, we're moving away from being hard and hard. Uh-huh and that idea that same way of you know black women having to come and save everybody and and be superwoman and all of that and it's like no i want to be soft i want to be feminine i want to have some time um to relax and 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 the the luxuries of life and so people are like there's a whole line of products now soft life bubble bath or something i don't know but you know so it's gonna obviously you know commercialize and you it's know
1: cat- a, it's only a matter of time before l'oreal buys it
0: <laughs> and right, and- exactly. So <laughs> next thing you know, it's the soft life. But uh, what what you were just talking about made me think about men, black men. Like, nice. what does that look like for black men to have a soft life? You know, can can you move into your soft life era? Can other black men move into a soft life era where we are not um, uh, always fighting and in that fight or flight? Space. You know, you know, Black women, speaking for Black women, um, have spent a lot of time in that space and obviously Black men, too. So as a Black man, do you feel like you have the space to be to live the soft life?
1: I have always my mom, hard worker that she was. My mom has always lived the soft life. You know, my mom, she worked for Pan Am back in the day, which is the is no longer around. My mom took me to Paris when I was six years old on my very first flight. So um, I've never not known. Okay, so I grew up a Huxtable. I've never not known the Say
0: more about that. You grew up (laughs) a Huxtable. You had a fireplace in your kitchen.
1: Uh, No, in the living room. Um, we had <laughs> we had marble floors. We had a fourteen um, room brownstone with the carriage house in Chicago. Growing up, and it was the family home because my great grandfather was a Pullman porter.
0: Ooh, living high and, off the hog.
1: Yeah, but we, you know, it wasn't. You know, we had a Thunderbird. I ain't gonna lie, uh, but <laughs> but the point is, I never grew up with the struggle. I didn't understand the struggle until after high school when I was well into well, I didn't understand the struggle till I was gay because gays can be racist as hell and that's when I first came up against racism and until the struggle you were
0: gay. did you just say until you
1: were gay yeah because I grew up in all black environments but you know you, so
0: were you, were you not gay at some point is that what you're saying that's how I don't you, know. when I was four
1: years old, that- I, wanted, I wanted Tito Jackson to be my boyfriend when I was four so just stop I've always been I just, gay I
0: just you know, to clarify, you like, until I became gay. And I was like, what year was that? Uh, uh,
1: 1981. Or? 1981 was when I realized that I belonged to a community of like people. Before that, I was just like, I don't know what this is. Uh, so the point is Huxtable, father at home, uh, you know, grew up reading, grew up knowing what Paris was. Uh, had you know i just grew up very middle class and very aware of being black but not as in a oh you're black you have to worry about stuff it was like yeah we're black we're proud the very first book i ever got was colored heroes my uncle was a contemporary and friend of dr king and if everybody looks it up look up gilby lloyd g-i-l middle name b lloyd he has a very famous letter he wrote to dr king at the beginning of dr king's rise saying that he wanted him to become the president of the southern baptist convention and dr king wrote him back saying you know brother lloyd i appreciate you but i've got other things to do so i grew up in a family where all of this stuff was it was there but it was in the sense of we're beating it like whatever the problems are I didn't know they were problems it was just oh this is how it is and we don't take it you know and I grew up in all I I went to a black private school where like um you know producers kids went like the producers of the brothers Johnson and Natalie Cole their kids went to the school some of them kids came to school in a limo so I never the struggle and the hard black man stuff didn't come 30 40 years to be honest
0: um, just about and so the struggle came.
1: Yeah. And, and when it, I became a gay, the struggle came because gays showed me what racism was.
0: Eric, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you so much. I, 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 I like talking to you, and I like talking about you the random things that we get to talk about and there's so many yeah. other things that we could actually talk about and there's so many movies from the 1930s and 40s and 50s that we could dive deeper into and that actually sounds like a fun idea for a show one day Yeah, we should. um because and i'm actually gonna go see funny girl on sunday i mean i've seen it a bunch of times but they're showing it in the movie theater so i'm really oh excited
1: wow
0: to go and they're doing like a brunch and so i'm gonna go yeah. and see and because I love old movies and I love Barbara Streisand as well.
1: And that's a, that's a big screen movie. Erica mentioned my show Talking While Black, which is also going to be starting a YouTube channel in Black History Month, which is February. We've had Marianne Winston on this, this coming month in Black History Month. We're going to be talking to uh, about mass liberation because I'm black. And uh, so anyway, just Google Talking While Black with Derek Washington. So go ahead and talk about that, Erica. <laughs>
0: Oh, um, I don't know. Maybe we should mention that Derek Washington has a show <laughs> called Talking While Black that airs on KCP on Saturdays, and they're going to be doing some Black history programming around uh, mass uh, liberation. And,
1: and you'll be able to find us on YouTube as well.
0: And we'll find you on YouTube so we can see that pretty non-wrinkled face of yours. I think that's amazing. <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. so. Thank you again, and I'm sure you'll be back because there will always be things to talk about, and especially as we get closer to the election, because I'm sure have hot takes that's going to rile up somebody.
1: Read the book I gave you, Bevelations by Bevy Smith.
0: I'll find it, and I will read it. Okay. It's on my list. It's on my list.
1: Okay, after Barbara
0: Streisand. 20,000 years ago. Sorry, Barb is... (laughs) So... Anywho, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again next Saturday at 9 a.m. on KUNV. Uh, and also you can find us on all of the streaming stations, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, All of them. We're there and we want you to share and let folks know um, that you're listening and share it with your friends and rate us on Spotify and Apple so other people can find us. And if you have anything that uh, you want us to talk about or if you have any guests you think I should talk to, um, let me know.
1: Reach out. I'm going to take you out with a song. I'm every woman. It's all in me.
0: All right, we're gonna cut the mic off right now. Thanks, y'all. Bye. This is Tiki Note Conversations with Erica Washington. For a long time I've been wanting to do this podcast. I've been the executive director of Make It Work Nevada and Make It Work Nevada Education Fund. For almost seven years, we have advocated for social justice issues um, as a reproductive justice organization that has helped hopefully thousands of people over the course of our, our lifetime. But before that, I was a journalist and I loved it. That's where I learned the ins and outs of Las Vegas, where I learned the history and had the opportunity to talk to some amazing people. And as much as I enjoy the work that I do now, I miss journalism. I missed being able to have deep conversations with people. And if anybody knows me, if anybody's ever been to my office they know that I am a lover of sticky notes. All different colors, textures, uh, shapes, and forms. Uh, I write everything down on a sticky note. and It's the way I keep my thoughts in order and my to-do, my to-do lists are even remotely manageable. So I create an array of sticky notes on my desk, on my wall. If I have a new idea, put it on a sticky note. Someone where I, want, I want to meet with, sticky note. Need to remember to pay a parking ticket, write it on a sticky note. As a matter of fact, I still need to actually do that. But over the course um, of the last year, this sticky note has been on my desk to launch this podcast. And now here we are. This will allow me to dive into some more deep conversations with some really interesting people because I want to have real conversations that were more than just sound bites or regurgitated talking points about fluffy topics. My hope is that each episode feels like old friends catching up, revealing great information, but also humanity, struggle, victory, joy, grief, and possibly a flicker of transcendence. And so I hope you'll enjoy these as much as I do creating them. So join me here every Saturday as I pull a new sticky note off my desk and dive into some great conversation. This is Erica Washington, Sticky Note Conversations. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Sticky Note Conversations with Erica Washington, hosted and executively produced by Erica Washington with music, mixing and editing by Black Gypsy LLC. Special thanks to KUNV 91.5 in Las Vegas. This show is powered by Make It Work Nevada, a project of Tides Advocacy.